Today, we enter into week three of our message series. We've been talking about in these two previous weeks how that we need to prepare for the future. I've been talking to you about that, you know, in your own life, how that I want you to be blessed and, and preparing for your future, the future that God has for you. We know from the very first week in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a good plan for you, a future and a hope. So God's destiny for your life is good, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to accentuate it. You're going to have to, just like he did, as we saw this in week one, just as he said to the people of Israel, I have this land before you, but you've got to go and possess the land. God is saying, I've got a good life before you, but it's not automatic and it's not involuntary. You're going to have to go and you're going to have to possess the life, the life that I have for you. And I'm so glad that each of you are here because I sincerely believe with all of my heart that this is a message that God wants you to be a part of. If you are here today, I think it's more than just you made a decision. I'm glad you made a decision to get up and to have your Fruit Loops or your cornflakes or your donut or whatever you had to be in church. But I believe it's even more than that. I believe it's part of God's sovereign plan that you would be here today and that you would be touched and that you would be encouraged and that you would be challenged. I pray that that will be so. Now, we're going to spend our time in the New Testament today because I want to show you a great miracle that Jesus brought to pass. But there is a verse from the Old Testament that I want to launch with. I want to just read it to you. It is not on the screen. A lot of you are familiar with this verse. It is Proverbs 29:18. You may want to write that down. Proverbs 29:18, and that verse says, "Where there is no vision, the people perish." Proverbs 29:18, "Where there is no vision, the people perish. And I want you to say that verse with me a couple of times, all right? You ready? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let's say it again. Where there is no vision, the people perish. One more time. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Do you know that when that verse, Proverbs 29, 18 is given, that in that verse, that word that word vision is actually, out of the Hebrew, it means a dream. Where there is no dream, the people perish. It's important that you have a dream. It is important that you have a goal, that you have a vision for your life. If you do not have a goal, a dream, a vision for your life, you will waste your life at worst, and you'll merely drift through life at best. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no dream, no goal, the people perish. Now, let's take for just a moment uh, on the intro part of this talk, that word perish. What, is it, what does it mean? The word perish literally means out of the Hebrew, it means out of control. And there's a lot of people today, by the way, who feels that their life is out of control. No real dream, no goal, no vision for their life. And as a result, they're not quite sure where they're going. They're out of control. They cannot really see or discern the path that they're on. They cannot really, uh, you know, realize the destiny that they ought to pursue. And God says, I want you to have a dream. I want you to have a goal. I want you to have a vision for your life. I don't want your life to be out of control. I want your life to be on the path that I've designed for it. And there's a powerful, a powerful event that takes place. And uh, chronologically, it ap- actually happens in the last week of Jesus's life on this earth. He is moving at this point toward Jerusalem. He knows that once he arrives in Jerusalem, he is going to be arrested. 
that he is going to stand trial, that he's going to be crucified. He knows this. It's all weighing heavy on Jesus. This is heavy. He realized what's awaiting him in Jerusalem. He's making his way. This is the last week in Jesus' life. And what you need to know that at this point in time, uh, the size of the crowds are enormous. There are massive amounts of people that are following him. They do not know what is awaiting him. He knows what is awaiting him, but they're thinking that he's just going to keep working his miracles or he's going to establish some earthly ruling kingdom and overthrow the Romans and he's going to be this new king and they're going to all be constituents and parts of this kingdom. Well, while traveling south through this various cities that he's gone through. He comes to the city gates of Jericho. I want you to think about this. As he enters into the city gates of Jericho, much like you would find at most uh, city gates, there sitting at the entrance are several, we believe, several blind beggars. One is mentioned by name, and I'm going to mention him in just a moment. But it appears, scholars will tell us, that it was probably several blind beggars that would be there. Did you know that uh, at that time, you know, if somebody was, was a beggar, was blind, and was a beggar, they would be reduced to poverty. They couldn't see, they, they couldn't read, they could not write, they could not keep a, a job. And so they would spend the rest of their existence on earth begging for help. Now, in our day, because of advancements, uh, a person is quite different for somebody that is visually impaired impaired in our day. They can have a productive and successful life, and, and many have, but in that day, it was totally different. And um, there's a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, and he certainly gets some airtime in the Bible, and, and you're about to see why. In fact, the guy's going to put these verses on the screen. I'm going to start reading. This is Luke chapter 18, and I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to start at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man, and it's Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, he can't see, so he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus is coming into our city. He called out, obviously he's heard of Jesus somehow, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want you to look at what happens next. Those who led the way, those who are part of the masses, leading the way, rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Hush, you know, calm down. But I love his response. But he shouted all the more. It's like, really? You want me to be quiet? Here I am in my condition and Jesus is coming by. When is that ever going to happen again? And he not only does not become quiet, he shouts all the more. He raises his voice even more. He gets even louder and he says, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Look at this. This is last week of Jesus' life. He's got a lot on his mind. He could have just kept walking, but Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him. Now, I'll come to this in just a moment. Jesus asked him a question that Jesus already knows the answer to. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you immediately. How many of you see that word immediately? He received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw this, they also praised God. You see, friends, Bartimaeus is desperate. He's desperate. He knows that this is his opportunity to receive a touch that he needs, that he's needed for a long, long time. He cannot see, 
He is visually impaired. But do you know that there are many people who can physically see, but they have no vision for their life. They have no vision for their future. And I want to just say, as we get ready to unpack his story a little bit, we're going to learn some great lessons, and they're going to be so applicable for many of you in your life. This is what I want you to know. The way you see your future is going to be the way that you're going to live your future. Can I just say that again? You need to hear that. That is really, really important. The way you see your future is going to be the way that you're going to live your future. How you see tomorrow unfolding will determine in many respects, certainly there are specific things that are outside of our control, but the way that we see tomorrow will determine how we go about living our lives tomorrow. So what is it that we learn from the story of Bartimaeus and his response to Jesus? There are three things that I want to share with you in the next few moments. They're very, very important for many of you. It's going to be like, a, it's going to be like the encouragement or hope from the scripture that you've been looking for. So I want you to be sure you get it, all right? So what did we learn from Bartimaeus? I want to give you the ver- very first one, and that is to believe that Jesus can provide a miracle for you. You've got to personalize that. You've got to say, you know what? We all stand, and I've been a part of hearing, you know, when, uh, when Chandler was going through his original diagnosis and one more test, even before these latest te- uh, tests, I'd get a, a text from Carla or Randy and saying, here's what's going on. Pray, pray. And, and then when you hear, you just see it all come together, this incredible miracle for Chandler. And, and when you see what Jesus did for, for Bartimaeus, it would be very easy to say, well, well, you know, that's good for Chandler and that's good for Bartimaeus. But what about me? You have got to believe that Jesus is able to provide a miracle for you. All of us need to realize that everything starts with faith. Everything starts with hope. You have to believe that things are going to get better. I don't know what your circumstances are this morning. I don't know what you're going through in your work, in your health, in a relationship, with money management, with some portion of your life. I don't know what you're faced with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know about your fears and your frustrations, but this is what I know. You ought to believe that things can get better. You ought to believe that things are going to change. Why? Because you can make them happen? No, but God can make them happen. God can bring them to pass. We see this clearly evidence in the life of Bartimaeus that he truly believes that Jesus is going to do something miraculous for him. He believes it so much. He is so totally convinced of this that he is willing to embarrass himself before this huge gathering of people. It does not matter who is around. He is crying out, Jesus, son of David, help me. Hey, hush, you know, leave him long. Jesus is really important. He doesn't have time for people like you. And he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want you to look at a few verses from what we just looked at a moment ago. Look at it again. Picking up at, I know it looks like a guy, but it's actually some scripture. All right? Look at these verses. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, you know, he hears the commotion. He asks, what's up? What's going on? They told him, Jesus, Jesus, can you believe it? Of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He is willing to embarrass himself, you know, raise his voice, identify himself. Why? Because he believed. 
Was he the only beggar at the city gates of, of Jericho? It is highly unlikely. There were probably many there, but he stands out because he believes that Jesus can work a miracle in his life. It doesn't say that many people called out. Bartimaeus is identified because Bartimaeus believed. He's willing to put himself on the line. He's willing to just sort of throw himself out there, embarrass himself, if you will. Someone has written this, miracles always begin with problems. Therefore, the greater our problems, the more likely candidates we, be- we become for bigger miracles. If you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've got a problem, then you're a candidate for a miracle. If you say, but I've got a big problem, then I want to say to you, you're a candidate for a big miracle. I want you to take a moment and I want you to consider this before we move on. I want you to ask yourself, please, what or who is the object of my faith? What is the object of my hope? And some of you, if you were just being, you know, plainly honest, you'd say, you you know, I I know this is not the answer you're looking for, Jeff, but, you know, really, you know, in unconventional times and uncertain days, You know, my hope is in my job. Everything about my life is wrapped up in my job or in my company or in my net worth. It's all wrapped up in my friends or my family. It's all hinging on my retirement fund. It's all about my intelligence and ability to make it happen. And and this is what all of those things are good. I'm so glad for your job, your company, your friends, your family, your retirement fund, your intellect, your net worth, your creativity, your ability. I'm so grateful for all of those things. But this is what I want you to know. Only God can meet all of your needs. A job can't meet all of your needs. A person can. A lot of times people spend their life thinking, well, if I just had the right job, if I had the right amount of money, if I had the right car, if I had the right house, if I had the right relationship, then all my needs would be met. Listen, only God can meet all of your needs. And Bartimaeus knew it. And that's why I cried out, and that's why you ought to cry out, and that's why I, I ought to cry out. And it's what we learn from Bartimaeus, that we ought to believe Jesus, that he can provide a miracle for us. Secondly, and this is really, really important. In fact, look at your neighbor who's right there, maybe a family member, a friend, could be a stranger. If they're really good looking, don't ask for their number. That's not what I'm asking you to do. All right, don't do that, but just say, this is really important. You let them know. Go ahead and tell them. Really important. You not only need to believe that Jesus has a miracle for you, what we also learn from Bartimaeus is is to refuse to concentrate on all the negative voices. Refuse to concentrate on all the negative voices. Can I just tell you something, and uh, you, you probably know this, and it will validate something you already know, but let me just validate what you already know. There will always be naysayers in your life. There will be. It's going to happen. There's no escaping it, really. People who do not have a goal, they do not have a dream, they do not have a vision for their own life, and guess what? They don't want you to have a dream or a goal or a vision for your life, too. They don't want you. They don't have one. They don't want you to have one. And and you'll always hear it. There will always be people who will tell you, you can't do that. You can't do that. You'll always have people around you. They may not say it specifically this way, but people will tell you, you can't be successful. You can't dig out of this. Look, look at your history. Look at your family of origin. Look at where you, you can't be a successful person. There'll always be people who will tell you, 
you, that you're not going to amount to anything. I hope you didn't hear that growing up, but some of you did, and I know that because in a crowd this size, there are people uh, in this service that you heard growing up, you're never going to amount to anything. There's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people who are going to tell you that it can't be done, but I want you to hear this morning, it can be done. It will be done, and God will help you to achieve it. I believe that. There's always naysayers in life. And let me just share with you briefly, just, just a few before I move on. Albert Einstein. Anybody ever hear of Einstein? You think he, you know, pretty smart guy, but listen to what it was said concerning him. He was at one time labeled unsociable and mentally slow and didn't begin talking until he was four years old. This is Einstein. His own father said that he was not normal and would never amount to anything. That, I, I think Albert Einstein amounted to something, don't you? How about Thomas Edison? You ever hear that name? Sure you have. You studied history. He was consistently at the bottom of his class. His teacher said, this is what they said about Thomas Edison. His teacher said that he was too stupid to learn. Not a very motivational environment, was it? Too stupid to learn anything. And he was finally educated at the knee of his patient mother. That's Thomas Edison. Now, some of you are way too young. This name, you're going to say like, who? I've never heard, don't know. But some of you will know the name Lucille Ball. How many of you? Lucille Ball. I love Lucy. Any of you ever heard that name? Listen to what was said about her. Her parents received a letter from the acting school where she was enrolled explaining that the teachers felt that she had no talent and recommended that they have spend no more money on her theatrical training. She failed at auditions again and again and struggled to overcome a crippling disease. She did not walk for two years when finally, later in life, she landed her first noteworthy role as an actress and turned out to be one of the greatest of all time. Let me give you one more. Anybody living in Central Florida, you, you surely have heard of Walt Disney. How many of you have heard of Walt Disney? I was talking to my uh, little nephew and niece the other day, my sister's kids the other day. They live in Nashville, Tennessee. And I, and I was telling them, you know, and I was using motivational means. I said, you guys need to have your mama bring you down here to see Uncle Jeff. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And, and this is where my persuasion tactics, I stepped it up a little bit. I said, do you know I only live 30 minutes from Disney World? Hey, if you don't want to come see me, at least you want to come see Disney, you know. Walt Disney. Walt Disney, listen to this. His editor at the newspaper described him as being void of creativity and fired him for a lack of good ideas. There's always going to be naysayers. There'll always be people who will tell you it cannot be done, it won't be done, you won't be successful, you're never going to amount to anything. But if you spend the rest of your life being persuaded by negative voices, you're going to spend your life being filled with fear and worry and doubts about yourself. In fact, can I say it this way? If you sit around and wait for others to take charge or ownership of your progress and your achievement and your own personal success, guess what's happened? You're going to spend your life in a drift mode. You just will. You've got to believe that God can bring this to pass in your life. You've got to shut down the negative voices. I hate to tell you this, but there are typically more people. Listen, I, I know this is not uh, this portion what you wanted to hear, but you need to hear the truth. There are typically more people who want to pull you down than pull you up. Amen. That's true. Do you think everybody wants you to succeed in life? No. 
Does everybody want you to possess the life that God has for you? No. Does everybody want you to have a goal, a dream, a vision for your life? No, they don't have one. They don't want you to have one. Remember, without a vision, without a dream, the people perish. People are out of control. They don't know where their life is headed. And there's always going to be people that are going to try to pull you down. There's a story, and I I think I may have shared this here uh, maybe five, six years ago, but I reached back for it for today because it was so connected to what I'm talking about. It's a true story. said there were four monkeys placed in a room that had a tall pole in the center of the room. Suspended from that tall pole was a bunch of bananas. One of the hungry monkeys started climbing the pole to get something to eat, but while the monkey was climbing the pole, he was doused with a torrent of cold water. It was part of this project research that they were doing an experiment. Squealing, he scampered down the pole and abandoned his effort to feed himself. Each monkey then had a similar attempt, and each monkey was then drenched with cold water. After several attempts, the four monkeys finally gave up. Then the researchers, listen to this, removed one of the monkeys from the room and replaced him with a new monkey that had not seen what had happened. As the newcomer began climbing the pole, the other three grabbed him and pulled him down. After trying to climb the pole several times and having been pulled down by the other monkeys several times, he finally gave up and never attempted to climb the pole again. Listen to the rest of this, the last of it. Researchers then replaced the monkeys one by one, and each time, so now none of the original four, replaced the monkeys one by one, and each time a new monkey was brought in, he would be dragged down before he could reach the bananas. In time, listen to this, in time the room was filled with monkeys who had never received the cold shower. None of them would climb the pole, but none of them knew why they wouldn't climb the pole. They just, they just didn't. They didn't. They were hungry, but they wouldn't go for the prize because they knew they'd be pulled down. There'll always be people. They tried to pull down Bartimaeus. Hush, man, don't you know? This is Jesus. Don't you know how important Jesus is? There's massive that are following him. He's headed toward Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. Hey, you know, be quiet. Hold it down. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to embarrass us. This is going to embarrass Jesus. But he's not going to listen to those negative voices. Had Bartimaeus listened to the crowd of unfavorable voices, he would have missed out. How many of you know this? He would have missed out on Jesus' miracle for his life. Take a look at Luke 18, 39. Look at this verse on the screen. It says, those who led the way, they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. You see, Bartimaeus had a choice, and so do all of us. He had a choice. He can listen to the negative voices, or he can look to a healing Jesus. Can I say that again? Bartimaeus has a choice. He can listen to negative voices. He'll tell them it'll never happen, or he can look to a healing Jesus. Had Bartimaeus cared more about the approval of other people than he did the touch of God, he would have missed God's ordained moment for his life. There's always going to be people that are going to try to pull, pull you down. You just, you've just got to know that. And you've got to learn. His Bart- I think it's a valuable lesson we learn from Bartimaeus. Sometimes you've just got to shut the voices down, listen, and trust God. L- shut down all the naysayers so that you can hear the one voice that is telling you it can be done. Before I move on, there's uh, something else I want to just toss out here before we reached for the last part of this talk, and that is, if you are more concerned about the approval of people than you are the approval of God, you're going to miss God's vision for your life. 
What would have happened to Bartimaeus if he had just, you know, if it had all been about the approval of people? If they had said, hush, man, don't you, be quiet. You can embarrass yourself. Be quiet. Tone it down. This is Jesus. Had Bartimaeus been more concerned about the approval of people than he was about his need or the approval of God, he would have missed his miracle. Always remember this. Always. Let me, let me give you a truism here, something for you to hang on to. This is important for you to remember. Please don't forget it. It is impossible to please God and everybody else at the same time. Amen. So you've got to decide who you've got to please. You're not going to be. If you just say, you know what? Uh, by the way, this would be a frustrating life. If, if you want to live a frustrated, uh, discouraging, depressing life, just make this your life's goal. I'm going to please everybody. You know why? You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be deper- uh, discouraged, depressed, because you're never going to be able to do it. You've got to choose whose approval matters most in your life. Always remember, it's impossible to please God and everybody else at the same time. Look, look at this verse before we come to the last thought. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says this, It is dangerous to be concerned with what others think, but if you trust the Lord, you're safe. You get, you get a choice. You get a choice. You can trust God or you can live your life trying to gain the approval of everybody, pleasing everybody, and it never happen. So what do we learn from Bartimaeus? It's really important. Believe that Jesus can provide a miracle for you, not just for Chandler, which he obviously has done, not just for Bartimaeus, which he has obviously done, but for you. Then you're going to have to refuse, as Bartimaeus did, to concentrate on all of the negative voices that are going to tell you it can't be done. Stop it. Don't even go there. Let me give you one more valuable truth that we can learn from Bartimaeus, and that is tell God what you need him to do. Tell God. Tell God what you need him to do. I love this. Look, look at this. This is verses 40 and 41. Guys are putting it here on the screen. Jesus stopped. You think about this. Jesus, last week of his life, he's got a lot on his mind. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he's headed to Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho, but he's headed toward a cross. But Jesus stopped for this one guy. And he ordered the man to be brought to him when he came near. I love this. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Let me stop right there. I've mentioned this to you before. Anytime Jesus asks a question, it is not because he does not know the answer. He asks the question because he wants us to know the answer. He wants us to have clarity in our mind. So Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. I want to see. I love the simplicity of this. I love, Jesus just simply looks at Bartimaeus and he says, all right, you've been calling me. What do you want me to do? I love the response of Bartimaeus. Uh, How how many of you recognize that Bartimaeus, his his response was immediate? He didn't have to think about it. He said, that's, now that's a good question. Let me think about that for a moment. Let me ponder that. What do you want? What do you want? What do I want you to do for me? He, he didn't do that, nor did he feel the need to go into a lengthy description of his situation, and his challenge. Instead, he immediately re- replies, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. What if Jesus were to come to you? Think about this. How many of you are still with me? Wave your hand so I know you're awake and the coffee is working and you got a sugar high off of the donuts. Would you wave at me one more time so I know you're here? 
I want to ask you this question. If Jesus were to come to you and were to look at you, were to stand face to face with you the way that he did, Bartimaeus, and Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond? If you don't have a goal, how can Jesus meet your goal? If you don't have a dream, how can Jesus fulfill your dream? If you don't have a need, how can Jesus meet a need? If you don't have a vision for your life, how can Jesus fulfill that vision? If Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond to that? Do you have clarity on what you would want God to bring to pass in your life? Would you say, as Bartimaeus did, as Chandler did, God, here's what I want. I want to be healed. I want you to heal my body. God, I want you to heal me. Would you say, God, here's here's what I want. I want to go back to school. I don't know how that's going to become a reality. I don't know how that that I can afford to do it, but I, I want to do it. I've got a dream. I've got a goal. I've got a vision. God, I want a better job. I want to be wiser, more disciplined in managing money. I want to discover my calling. I want to serve in a ministry. I want to leave a legacy. I want to make a difference with my one and only life. I want to be a part of something that is bigger than I am. I want to take better care of my body. I want to be a much better Christian, or I want to become a Christian. God, this is what I'm asking you to do in my life spiritually or relationally or educationally or vocationally or financially or physically. If God were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond? Bartimaeus didn't hesitate. I want to see. If you just touch me, I'll be healed. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. You've got somebody that loves you and wants to meet your needs. I, I, this is no secret. I mean, you know, this, if I say that I adore my granddaughters, is anybody surprised by that? I adore those girls. I mean, I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't care about FaceTime until my granddaughters moved to Illinois now I'm their biggest fan. My granddaughters, and I've shared something similar to this not too terribly long ago. If my granddaughters were to come to me and say, Papa, here's what I'm asking you to do. Listen, unless it was going to harm them or hurt them in some way, you know what Papa's going to do? Papa's going to figure out a way to make it happen. I mentioned Walt Disney, uh, Walt Disney earlier. You know what? I know a lot of you love Disney, but honestly, honestly, I could have went the rest of my life without going to Disney World until I had grandkids. (laughs) Then I had a season pass. I love Disney. I love, put my thumb on there, come on, let's go in, you know, and we're going to have fun at Disney. I found out a way to make it happen. You have a God that loves you and longs to meet your needs. So don't be afraid to ask. One last verse, and I want you to see this. It's a really important one. It's Romans 8.32. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You ever seen that verse before? If God did not spare even Jesus, but gave him, I mean, if he met our most monumental need, 
which was the need for salvation, if he did not spare. Listen, this is what it's saying. This is what Paul is saying here in Romans. If God did not spare the life, if God loves you enough that he would not even spare the life of his own son. I mean, if he was willing to make that sacrifice, it's what Paul's saying. Won't he also give us everything else? If God has already given us the best that God has, will he not give us what we need? Don't be afraid. Ask. Listen, I'm I'm a loving grandfather, but I'm an imperfect grandfather. But you serve a perfect God who loves you and wants to meet your needs. If Jesus were to say to you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you tell him? I want to pray, and I know that we would not have enough room on the stage area or otherwise I'd ask you to come here, and we're just not going to have the room. But if you need Jesus to do something for you, whatever it is, spiritually, educationally, vocationally, relationally, physically, whatever it is, if there is a need that you have that you need Jesus to meet, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Just stand to your feet. right Wherever you're at, just stand to your feet. What do you need Jesus to do for you? What do you need Jesus to do? Paul said, listen, if God wouldn't even hold back his son, if he's already given the very best that he's got, won't he give you everything else that you need? God cares so much about you. I want you to hear that today. But Jeff, you don't know me. I know I don't, but I'd still say God loves you. But Jeff, you don't know. I'm disqualified because of mistakes I've made in the past, failures, things I'm embarrassed or ashamed about. And so, you know, this may be true for other people, but no, he loves you. And he wants to meet your need. Some of you need salvation today. Some of you need healing. Some of you need a relationship breakthrough. Some of you need a new job. You need to go back to school. Some of you need encouragement. Some of you need whatever it is. You're just right there where you're at. Would you just... Take your hands, even if you're not ordinarily accustomed to doing it, and I'm not trying to ask you to do something that you would be uncomfortable doing, but I want you to just maybe raise your hands, but do it a little bit different this time. Sort of do it palms up, like like somebody's going to hand you something and you're going to receive it. Just sort of palms up. A lot of times during worship, I'm, I'm like this, but you're putting yourself in a place to receive. And just tell Jesus. Just think it in your mind or whisper it. You don't even have to say it out loud. It may be so private that you, you just whisper it. Maybe if you got a friend there, you would you'd trust them enough or a family member. Maybe you'd lean over and whisper in there and say, this is what I need. Or, or you'd say, this is what we need, Jesus. We don't know what to do except to follow your word. And we believe that the same Jesus that healed Chandler, the same Jesus that opened the eyes of Bartimaeus can work miracles in this place today. Jesus, we believe. We believe you for a miracle. Bring a miracle to everyone here, God. You know what they have need of. Bring a miracle. And God, in in the posture of wanting to receive our miracle, help us to shut down. Help us not to concentrate on all the negative voices that would tell us it can't be done. It won't be done. It never happened. It can never happen to you. Help us to just block all that out and listen for the one voice that really matters above all other voices. And then, like we're doing right now, Jesus, tell you what we need. Tell him right there, Jesus, I need this. 
I need healing. Jesus, I need a job. Jesus, I need encouragement. Jesus, I need some benefits. Jesus, I need whatever it is. You tell him, Jesus, we receive. We receive. We choose to believe. Our faith is in you. Our hope is, our hope is in you. God, thank you for loving us and desiring to meet our needs. We give you praise. Jesus said, Amen. Do you receive it? Do you receive it? Can we give Jesus a hand today? One last thought, and then we're done. Don't believe you haven't received if you haven't received it by the time you get to your car in the parking lot. (laughs) Sometimes things happen immediately. Other times, they're progressive. I know that the Glott-Felty family, it would have been so wonderful had Chandler received a diagnosis and the very next day received his healing. But it was progressive. God was at work. And if you don't receive it by the time you put your hand on the door handle, doesn't mean you're not going to receive You keep trusting. You keep believing. Because God may not always show up in accordance with your calendar, but God is always right on time. Amen. I love you. Have an awesome day.